I know for some of us, it's been perhaps a long day or a long week or a long season. So we're going to stand up to read God's word together and then we'll pray and we'll dive in. So let's go ahead and stand. It is only 16 verses, right? And yet so rich. So I hope you are as excited to hear from the Lord today um, as he is excited to speak with you. So let's go through this. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, which is actually on the way to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Notice she didn't have an answer to that second question. She didn't really know where she was going. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Lord, we thank you again just that we have the opportunity to be here tonight and that you see us, Lord. You see the place where we're coming from, and Lord, you alone see the place where we are going so, Holy Spirit, we just beg for your presence, Lord. We only want to go where your presence will lead. Speak to us tonight, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of our teaching is Hand-Eye Coordination. 
hand-eye coordination. And according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary Online, hand-eye coordination is the way that one's hands and sight work together to be able to do things that require speed and accuracy. And the examples that they give are catching or hitting a ball. But even things we do every day, like driving, requires hand-eye coordination. Um, chopping veggies for dinner, right? These things, notice I said veggies and not probably what I'm actually chopping for dinner. Um, but in my mind, I'm chopping veggies <laughs> for dinner. Um, all these things require hand-eye coordination. In doing some research for our study, I came across this WebMD article titled, Are Male and Female Brains Different? And this was from 2016, back when you could ask these questions and it was okay. Um, and this was written by Lisa Collier Cool. That's actually her last name, according to WebMD anyway. Her last name is Cool. So in her findings, right, as she gathers different studies, there are significant differences. Di Let me just try that sentence again. These studies find significant differences in the brain circuitry of men and women, even when we're doing the same thing. It's like two people driving from Philadelphia to New York who take different routes but end up at the same place. So if you ever wondered, if you've spoken with someone, you're like, why did you do it that way? It's because their brains, <laughs> their circuitry is different than ours. And this is um, by Dr. Verma, an associate professor at the University of Pennsylvania there in Philadelphia. This study looked at the, the brain roadmaps of over 2,000 healthy people, including kids, teens, young adults. And it shows that women have more connections going left and right across the two halves of the brain. This can give us an advantage in pulling together information from different sources, drawing conclusions. The left hand half of the brain handles logical thinking, and the right is associated with intuition. And most of our connections, most of how we get from point A to point B, involves going back and forth. Now, men's brains have more connections from front to back. This heightens their perception. They may be more attuned to what's going on in their surroundings and know how to take action. Men have stronger connections between brain areas for motor and spatial skills. And this means, unfortunately, um, or maybe fortunately, that's how God made them. But if you're competitive like me, it's unfortunately <laughs> that they have um, an advantage when it comes to hand-eye coordination. So if you've ever played in co-ed sports and things like this, their brains are actually wired to do better at those activities. They understand where objects are in space a little better because of the way their brain connections work. So throwing a ball, hammering a nail, these things are just a little bit more intuitive for male brains. MRI showed that women have larger amounts of gray matter in our hippocampus, and this plays a role in memory. Um, we also have more gray matter in the area which is thought to control our communication skills. So Again, this doctor found that in female brains, there's more wiring in regions linked to memory and social awareness. So those were just some of the things from that study which I thought were really cool as to how male and female 
brains tend to be different in general. So as we look at this chapter again, we are going to divide it up into two sections, one that has to do with the hands and one that has to do with the eyes. Because as we read through these different verses, we see that these two ladies did not have great hand-eye coordination, and it resulted in a lot of strife. It resulted in a lot of bad decisions, and the consequences are such that we are still dealing with today, right? Even between um, the Arabs and the Jews, there being so much tension, we truly see the fulfillment of this prophecy. So for that first section, we'll look at the first six verses, and basically things got a little out of hand, right, in this situation. And both these ladies, I would say, felt like they were dealt a bad hand, right? They both felt that things were unfair. They both felt that they were misunderstood. And they allowed that to let things get out of hand. So that's sort of our first point, that because both these ladies felt that they were dealt a bad hand, it led to things getting very much out of hand. And again, we read those uh, verses, but it's looking at those first six where we see Sarai gave Abram this suggestion. And notice with me in verse two, right, that she tells Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from childbearing. And you know what? She was right. The Lord was in this. Her desire to have children was not yet met because it wasn't the Lord's timing. But the result, her conclusions, were not of the Lord. When she says, please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her, she was giving a suggestion from the culture, right? This was very common in the, in the customs of this day and age. And ladies, we need to be warned that just because something is common, just because something is acceptable in our culture, doesn't mean it's what God has for us. We need to be very careful that we're not just getting our solutions from our social media, from, you know, what we see as, oh, that's good advice because, you know, these people are very learned in the, in the world. We need to make sure we are going to the word for advice. Just because something's acceptable in our culture doesn't make it right. And the end of verse 2 is probably where a lot of this um, gets out of hand. Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. What's interesting about this is that we don't see a note where Abraham prayed about this decision. He didn't seek the Lord. It didn't even say he waited a day. He was just like, all right, sounds like fun, you know, and he didn't seek the Lord. So just be very careful at flippantly taking advice that seems convenient. The ends do not justify the means. And again, we see at the end of the first part of verse 6 where Abram says, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. That is terrible advice. Because no matter is ever truly in our hands, right? If we belong to the Lord, if Jesus is our Savior, if we believe with our heart that he died on the cross for us, we know that nothing is truly in our hands. We've surrendered our whole eternity to him. How much more the day-to-day -day things of our life, right? Let us not do as we please with matters that are uncomfortable, with situations that are difficult. Let us put things back in his hand. Hagar means flight, emigration. She was an Egyptian woman, the handmaid, 
of, or slave of Sarai, perhaps a present even from Pharaoh when Abram lied to him in Egypt there in Genesis 12, 16. This is according to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. And it's a resource there on Blue Letter Bible. So when you're looking at the chapter, they actually have a little box called Tools. And you could either look at the concordance or it even gives you dictionaries if you just want to look at definitions and things like that. In this same resource, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, it also gives us the definition for the name Sarai. Her name means she that strives a contentious person. So this verse, right, it shows us the real responses of real humans and how often we react when we rely on our own strength, right? Sarah in her own strength was harsh to her handmaid and Hagar in her own strength fled. She just fled. And isn't that so often our two reactions when there's difficulty? We'll either let our claws come out and we'll enter into strife and we'll deal harshly with someone else or we'll say, peace out, I'm good, this is too hard, I'm done, right? That fight or flight response, if you would, that is very natural, but unfortunately the flesh is so natural. It's so natural. Running in the flesh, right? This is something that we see when we take things into our own hands um, rather than trusting with the them to the Lord, the New Testament calls it walking in the flesh. Um, what I was mentioning earlier is that in Hagar's case, she was running in the flesh, right? Not just walking in the flesh. Sarai, she gave advice in the flesh. Hagar despised authority in her life in the flesh. Sarai responded to scorn in the flesh. And Hagar fled in the flesh. But you know what? We have a new covenant right? We're not under the law. We're under grace. So there is a New Testament contrast to this situation, right? Remember how we started this point that these ladies took things into their own hands and that's why things got out of hand? But what happens when instead we put things in the Lord's hands where they belong? Well, if you're quick, turn with me to the gospel of Mark. It's the second gospel, the second book there in the New Testament right after Matthew, Mark chapter 6, and here is the New Testament promise, right? The contrast of what can happen when we place things in the Lord's hands. And we'll begin in verse 31 of Mark chapter 6. And he, Jesus, said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Verse 33, but the multitude saw them departing and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities and they arrived before them and came together to him. Then Jesus said, when he came out and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Verse 36, Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, 
you give them something to eat. And his disciples, they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see, right? So these disciples were instructed to go and see what they had at hand, right? How much food did they have in their hands? So they found out and they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves, right? It doesn't say it there, but we know he took them in his hands, right? And the two fish he divided among them all. In verse 42, so they all ate and were filled And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. And now those who had eaten loaves were about 5,000 men. Ladies, this New Testament contrast shows us that instead of taking things in our own hands, we need to place them in the nail-pierced hands of our Lord. It might be scary because when we do that, when we obey and we place them into his hands, Oftentimes, the first thing he does is break whatever it is that we gave him. And we might say, Lord, why would you do that? That was all that I had. Why would you break it? It's what he did with the loaves, right, and the fish. But the result, my friends, is the feeding of souls instead of the fleeing of servants. Trust him It's worth it. He hasn't failed us, and he never will. So now we turn to the rest of our portion back in Genesis chapter 16. Now we look at the I part of our hand-eye coordination theme. We now understand that the Lord is there, and he allows us to help see things eye to eye with him if we keep our eyes on the ball. Right? So before these ladies were taking things into his hand, into their own hands, right? But when we have our eyes on the things of the Lord, right? We keep our eyes on that ball. We see things eyes to eyes with him. We will see a blessing. In verse 6, the second half there begins with, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring, by the spring on the way to Shur. And it's interesting right there, the instructions at the end of verse 9 where it says, submit yourself under her hand, right? This was still the authority in Hagar's life was Sarai. This is the first time the angel of the Lord, that phrase appears in the entire Bible. And he did not appear to Abram. He didn't appear to Melchizedek first, right? As far as we know, we have no record of him appearing to Noah or to Enoch even, But the angel of the Lord chooses to first appear and reveal himself to a stranger, to a woman, to someone of no reputation, a servant, a slave, to show us again how he loves us, how his heart is for us. He cares for us. You don't have to be this amazing individual for the Lord to see you. He saw Hagar in her situation. He asks her two questions. He asks her where. He asks her where, he asks her where are you going and where did you come from? 
And you know what? This might be the first time that the angel of the Lord appears in scripture to a woman at a well, but it's not the last time, right? This time in the New Testament, we have a comparison instead of a contrast. When he shows up to Hagar the first time, he has questions. But when he comes to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he has answers. So again, if you're quick, we have to go there to John chapter 4. It's such a beautiful account. And the similarities are very just meaningful because, again, this woman of Samaria is the first person to whom Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. Right? He ends this conversation by saying, I that speak to you am he. And he hadn't really publicly declared this, right? He tells his disciples, come and follow me, come follow me. You know, I'll make you fishers of men. But to her, he says, I am he. That person that your fathers have been waiting to meet, that all of scriptures will be fulfilled in, I, I'm right here. So again, Jesus choosing a woman, a foreigner, at a spring of water, possibly running from her past too, to reveal himself to. Um, if your Bible has red letters of what Jesus speaks, right, that's kind of what I wanted to look at tonight in this portion, just to look at the things that Jesus spoke to this Samaritan woman by the well. So it's in John chapter 4, and we're going to jump around a little bit. So I'm sorry if you don't have red letters in, in, um, in your translation, but you could follow along. It's basically John chapter 4. We'll pick up in verse 7, and we'll jump around a little bit wherever it says Jesus said. He says, give me a drink. And then in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In verse 16, uh, go call your husband and come here. Verse 17, you have said, well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. In verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and verse and truth. And verse 26, I who speak to you am he. So again, ladies, instead of looking at the Lord through the lens of our circumstances, let us look at our circumstances through the lens of who God is. And remember who he is. He is El Roil. You are the God who sees. So in closing, is this even possible, right? Can our hand-eye coordination really improve to the point where we leave circumstances in his hands and where our perspective is actually a heavenly one. I think of ways that hand-eye coordination can be weakened. One is age 
and the other is an illness. And I think of Sarai, right? How much time had gone on since this promise. She was growing tired, weary, so long since her prayer request seemed to have been granted. And her heart, right, broken, deferred, that hope deferred, making her heart sick. And I think of a broken heart and an aging, unfulfilled promise and how much that can ruin our spiritual hand-eye coordination. But ladies, there is a remedy. And it goes back to a few chapters. It goes back to sand and stars. You see, in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18, the Lord had already promised Abram that he was going to have descendants forever. And in those verses, 14 through 18 of chapter uh, 13, the Lord tells Abram, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then that your descendants would also be numbered. He reiterates the same promise for descendants by telling him to count the stars. And that's in Genesis 15, right? The chapter that we looked at before our break. It says, look now toward heaven in Genesis chapter 15. The portion of verses is verses four through six. Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So again, perhaps you're listening to this message, and you're discouraged. Your gaze has been so lowered that you find yourself staring at the dirt. Let each grain of sand remind you of God's promise. Continue walking in that land that God has given you. And perhaps some of you listening are finding yourselves anxious. Your gaze may be focused on what lies ahead. Is it this? Is it that? You're looking at the stars wondering what could be next. Well, look at them. But let each light in the dark remind you of God's promise. Continue to know that the Lord is with you as you go through this life. The covenant that takes place in 13 and 15 is followed by so much doubt and disobedience in chapter 16. And it would almost be surprising if we weren't human too, right? (laughs) I mean, how often has the Lord given us beautiful mountaintop covenant experiences only for the next chapter in our life to be one of failure and disobedience and doubt? So again, it's really not that surprising that Genesis 16 follows 15 and 13, right? Like we see that. We see how our humanity can fail us. But what absolutely blows my mind is that Genesis 17 can follow Genesis 16, right? There's a wise radio um, morning program host of Life for Jesus. And he used to make this keen observation when he would teach. He would say things like, and you know what comes after chapter 16? chapter 17 and it would just be so sweet because you were thinking he was talking about you know timeline things but again just the simple obvious thing that after Genesis 16 comes Genesis 17 and look at how it starts 
right? So we'll go back to the first book in the Bible, chapter Gen of chapter the book of Genesis, chapter 17, and it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And we know that eventually the king of kings would come from him. In verse 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. But you know what's sweet? I think this is the first time God includes his wife in the covenant. Jump down to verse 15. Then God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai. She's not going to be that contentious woman full of strife anymore but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. As I was uh, just doing my devotionals, actually, I was finding myself in Genesis chapter 16. And I was so excited uh, to be back in Genesis because I was reading the Bible chronologically this year. And I hadn't done that in a while. So I forgot that like on day five, you're smacked with Job. Kind of like, happy new year. And I was like, whoa, I was not ready for this. So when I found myself back in uh, Genesis, I was elated. Um, and I found myself back in our study. And it was so sweet. I was going through... I think the reading for that day was Genesis 12 to 14, and I was so excited for the next morning's reading because it was going to be this chapter that we were going through for our study tonight. And so that day, I was like, oh, let me see Utmost for His Highest, which again is such a great devotional by Oswald Chambers. And it was titled Vision and Darkness. And it starts with this verse from Genesis 15, verse 12. It says, And horror of great darkness fell upon him. And I was just shocked that the Lord would allow me the day before I was reading Genesis 15 through uh, 17, that he would allow me to find myself in a devotional by Oswald Chambers dealing on the very next chapter. And the last time we got together and we were able to teach through the study, it was so sweet. Genesis 15 is such an amazing chapter. And it's one of those that every time you go back, you find something new. So if you allow me, I would like to close tonight with this um, devotional by Chambers. It's a little bit long, but it's really, really rich. It says, whenever God gives a vision to a saint, he puts him, as it were, in the shadow of his hand. And the saint's duty is to be still and listen. 
There is a darkness which comes from excess of light. And then the time is to listen. Genesis 16 is an illustration of listening to good advice when it is dark instead of waiting for God to send the light. I'm going to say that again. Genesis 16 is an illustration of listening to good advice when it is dark instead of waiting for God to send the light. When God gives you a vision and darkness follows, wait. God will make you in accordance with the vision he has given if you will wait his time. Never try and help God fulfill his word. Abraham went through 13 years of silence. That's from Genesis 16 to 17. But in those years, all self-sufficiency was destroyed. There was no possibility left of relying on common sense ways. Those years of silence were a time of discipline, not of displeasure. Never pump up joy and confidence, but stay upon God. Have I any confidence in the flesh, or have I got beyond all confidence in myself and in men and women of God, in books and prayers and ecstasies, and is my confidence placed now in God himself, not in his blessings? I am the Almighty, El Shaddai, the Father God. The one thing for which we are all being disciplined is to know that God is real. And as soon as God becomes real, other people become shadows. Nothing that other saints do or say can ever perturb the one who is built on God. It was such an amazing devotional for that day. And in conclusion, the question is, now what? Right? I, I think it's interesting that in verse 2, Sarai starts off with, see now, right? She comes up to Abram and she has this plan and she starts with, see now. But when we jump down in verse 6, we see it's the Lord who says, now, I am the God who sees. So will we look up knowing that our redemption is nearer than when we first believed? Because he who promises faithful. I hope we will be those kind of women. Let's pray. God, we thank you so, so much for your word. We thank you that you portray real people with real problems and their real shortcomings, God, to show your true faithfulness, to show us that you are the God who sees. So I just pray for each and every one of my sisters here tonight, God, whatever circumstance they may be facing, that they think is unseen by you. Lord, just show yourself strong on their behalf, Lord. If there's any uh, repentance or asking for forgiveness, Lord, or going back and submitting, Lord, that needs to happen, Lord, you be glorified. God, you show us how we need to respond when things um, seem unfair or difficult because you see us, God, and you are worthy, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. Amen.